0: And get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MeatEater for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own? Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the Whitetail Woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light. Go farther, stay longer. And now,
1: your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. This week on the show, I'm joined by my right hand man, Tony Peterson, to discuss his biggest wins, misses, and mistakes, lessons learned, and book recommendations from the 2023 season. All right. Welcome back to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light and their Camo for Conservation Initiative, which I've always been a big fan of because what it does is it sends a portion of all sales of First Light's whitetail camo gear to the National Deer Association. Um, And I've always been a big fan of the National Deer Association, but uh, I have some news related to the NDA, Tony. Um, I'm now, I guess, extra biased towards us helping the NDA because I am now on the board of directors for the national deer association. Nice. Yeah. So hopefully going to be able to do some, some more good stuff for NDA between first lights donations. And hopefully I can offer an idea or two and uh, we'll keep on keeping on when it comes to making sure the white tails and white tail hunting good in this country. Right. That's cool, man. Yeah. So that's exciting news. Uh, in other news, Last week, Tony, I did something that I don't do often, um, which is a solo podcast. And you do it every week on Foundations, but I did a solo one last week in which I just went through the nerdy thing that I do and that my wife do here at home for our, our day-to-day life, which is every year we do this annual review um, where we talk through kind of all of our highlights from the last year, any possible lowlights. Um, we kind of review our goals from the last year and then start planning for 24 or planning for the next year. So we talk through, you know, different goals, different ideas, trips, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I did that last week on the show and kind of talk through how I do that, why I do that and specifically how you could do that for your hunting season and since you left me all by myself last week and didn't have to go through that process, I thought this week I should force you to do that a little bit today with me. Are you are you game for that?
2: So hold on, I'm being vilified <laughs> for you uh, going rogue. You could, you can get a hold of me multiple ways, and you didn't try to get me on there. You decided you're just it's your show. You're going to do it, and now uh, I'm at fault somehow.
1: Yeah. So now you really are sounding like my wife. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, it felt like we got married there. I was like, wow, that was a weird shot to take at me, Mark.
1: <laughs> so regardless of that, uh, very legitimate feedback, are you game <laughs> for the idea?
2: <laughs> uh, sure, man.
1: Okay. Um, first off though, good, good Christmas break, good holiday vacation, all that stuff.
2: It was good. I, uh, I've been, you know, I talked to, bunch of my random buddies and it feels like three full days of holiday stuff in a row is a lot oh yeah (laughs) like i had a conversation with my wife last night where most of the christmas stuff's obviously put away now but i just noticed this one random thing and i was like hey can that go like we don't need it anymore and then we got into an argument about like christmas spirit and you know the typical married stuff but i was like I was like, I wouldn't probably have a tree, or like, if it were just (laughs) up to me, Christmas would look a hell of a lot different than it does. uh, Are you really? Are you really that Scrooge?y You really wouldn't do a tree. I, man, I would if the girls wanted it. Yes, I would probably do it. But I mean, I, I think I don't know if we've talked about this or not, but I feel like there are times I just walk through my house. And, you know, it, it, I'm sure it looks different if you're looking at this background here in the, in my basement where I have a lot of deer heads and fishing rods and bow presses and all that crap. But like generally in my house, in the space that I spend most of the time, there's nothing that I bought and brought in there other than like maybe some furniture. You know, I like I look at the walls and I'm like, I don't know where this painting came from or that thing or whatever. It's all my nobody
1: would. Stuff. Nobody would know that you lived there. Right. Unless they went to the, no. Bas- to the basement.
2: <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> yeah.
1: same yeah. here. Ditto, yeah. but isn't that the bargain like we make? Like that's in exchange for them letting us go do crazy stuff all over the the state and the country, do our thing. We we grant uh, full dominion of the home and the rest of the life, right? I
2: don't think we grant it,
1: buddy. I think yeah, it's just good point. taken from us. That's a good point. We're <laughs> we're lucky to get our little I, dude, uh, our little thing in.
2: I think it's like uh, what's going on with space and the moon right now where everybody's trying to get up there and claim these resources and whoever gets there first and plants their flag wins. And I think we just get into a house and we're like, I don't know, I'll throw some Euro amounts up or whatever. Here's my books. And then every all the other real estate starts to get claimed real fast.
1: It took all of four minutes and 54 <laughs> seconds of your first podcast episode of 2024 for you to get a space reference in. That's good. That's real good. And I,
2: I'm not done yet, buddy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So I hear you. I hear you and all that stuff. I do like Christmas, but um, but it does get to be a lot. This year was like a marathon for us, too. We had three days of full Christmas stuff of family and then friends and then uh, two additional days of my family coming to visit us. And then another friend thing. So I ended up being like almost seven days straight. That's, that's a lot. That's enough. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so you survived it. It was good. Um, do you do any kind of goal stuff or annual review stuff or anything like what I'm talking about here? Is that a part of your life at all?
2: You know, <clears throat> not, I, I do some goals. I don't, you know, do like a formal review of my year. I mean, pers- partially because you know, what we do for a living. I mean, I'm creating content around what I did all year, you know? So I'm kind of like reminded of the things that I'm like, man, that was really fun or that kind of sucked or whatever. So it's like a, it's like a soft way to review just, just through my professional life and kind of helps guide me toward, you know, what do I want to do this year with some of that stuff? But as far as like, uh, you know, what goals do I make? I don't, I don't make a lot of hunting goals, but I do make goals around like running or, or lifting or like what I want to do that way. And it all, it all kind of just blends together, you know?
1: Yeah. What's the, uh, like when you look back on 23 with those goals that you talked about, not necessarily hunting, but you're running and all that other kind of stuff. Is there anything that you either really crushed or really failed on? Does anything stand out?
2: Uh, there's, so uh, my goal for a couple of years has been 700 miles to run 700 miles in the year, because that's just like a nice one for me not to beat myself up, but it keeps me motivated. And what happened, I think it, I think it was in 2020, I tore a muscle in my calf. I was out photographing turkeys and just, just had a little tear in this muscle. in My calf took me out of the game for a little bit, got back in it, whatever, no big deal. I did. I re-tore that this year in Oklahoma packing Steve's buck out (sighs) and it made it a real struggle to get back to that goal. Cause I just, I, I, I had to take weeks off. And so that kind of stuff, if I, if I have something like that happen where I'm like this goal pretty, should be pretty easy. I, I didn't really need to take that goal that seriously, but as soon as little thing, little wrinkle in the plan comes up and now you're like, okay, I I don't know if I'm going to get there. And so it, it kind of made me look at like, how do I, how am I going to ensure that I stay healthy enough and not do stuff like that to take myself out? So I didn't, I increased, I'm going to, I'm shooting for 800 miles this year just to give myself a little bit more, but also I'm like, I'm looking at like my overall fitness and going, how, how do I avoid anything like that? Because every once in a while, you know, I mean, you, you do this stuff long enough and whatever, like you're going to have something that happens that takes you out of the game somehow. You know, I had that happen one time with my shoulder with bow hunting and, or, you know, where I thought it was going to take me out. It didn't, but it's like a, it's a hell of a reminder, man. Like this is like, we're we're on thin ice sometimes with this stuff that we don't, you know, like if you might never be forced to face it, but you might. And Mm, it, so I'm, I'm just looking at it that way. Like how, how do I, how do I ensure that I can, I can hit these goals And, you know, keep up doing the things I want to do and go elk hunting and everything else.
1: Yeah, you you take it for granted until all of a sudden it's not the the ability is not there, whether because of an injury or whatever. Um, I had that, you know, that wrist injury this summer. There was the first thing that's happened to me in a long time that took me out of being able to do the things I want to do. Couldn't shoot my bow. Couldn't row the boat. Couldn't, you know, do some of those things that usually I just be like off doing all the time. Um, and so for the first time this year, and I guess coming into the new year, um, a, I'm having like, uh, I'm coming to grips with not my mortality, but just like, hey, stuff's changing. Like you're you're approaching like middle life where stuff can just not work the way it used to or injuries more likely, like unless you're really thinking about it and doing the kind of stuff you're talking about, like staying up on your fitness and all that kind of stuff and staying flexible or whatever the thing is you're worried about messing up, you kind of have to work for it. You can't just assume it's all just going to do it like it did back when you were 20. Um So, so yeah, like a lot of my fitness related goals now are just to keep me in the game. Like I want to be able to go backpacking with my kids and rafting and fishing and shooting my bow and all that kind of stuff without constantly fearing about, well, am I going to tear my calf or tear my whatever, or roll my ankle or whatever it is. Um, So with that 800 miles a year, what's that? I'm not good at math in my head. What's that factor out to, to a weekly average?
2: Uh, well, weekly, I don't know, 40 miles a week or something. Um, well, actually probably Dude. 30, no, 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 not 40 miles a week. That's way too much. Uh, I don't know. I'm really, really bad at math.
1: Well, what I do just, you usually run? Like, what are you, what are your, what I'm getting at well, is like,
2: how much are you actually I, I, running a week now? So right now, uh, well, oh, the first week of January, I ran 21 miles, okay. but I, I shoot, I, I use a running app. And I know from my trends, because I've probably done this for like eight years now, uh, i'll I'll do a lot of miles in the winter. I'll do not so many miles in Turkey season. I'll do a lot of miles in the summer, and then in the fall, it really tapers off. So I always try to shoot for a big January, a big February, a big March, because uh, I know I know how this is gonna pace out. and that, and then in the summer, I just like running outside a lot. And so I know i'll I'll kick it back up in June, July, and August. Um, so I don't, I don't go like, I have to do this this week when I, when I was doing a thousand miles a year, it was like, I think it was almost three miles a day that you have to do 2.87 or something. I don't remember exactly. And so I was like almost too aware of that. Like yeah. I would think about it all. And then, you, you know, if you go on vacation or you go on a hunt you're like, I've been, I haven't ran in eight days. And then you do the math and you're like, okay, now I'm 25 That's miles behind or whatever. Yeah. It's it's rough. And so I don't, I don't, you know, I don't break it down by the week, but I'm real aware of how my progress is going for the month.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. The, the way you're doing that with your mileage goal and the way I'm trying to achieve my running goal is, is by putting a big stick, you know, in my future, that being a race that I've got to make sure that I'm ready for. Um, I haven't gone the weekly or yearly kind of tally, but this year, I think I haven't, I haven't told my wife this yet. Um, but I think I'm going to try to run a marathon this year. And the, the thing keep the thing keeping me from doing that to this point has been the fact that I don't want my training to take any more time away from the family than my half marathon training has. Um, but I'm thinking, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I can figure out a way to be ready for a race like this. I just want to finish without getting injured. I'm not trying to like do it fast, but, um, but if I can do that in a way that's not significantly different than the amount of running I was doing leading up to this, um, I
2: think I want to try to do that. So
1: that's my big fitness goal for 24. uh,
2: Let me ask you this. How do you figure that you're going to be able to do a marathon with roughly the same amount of training as a half marathon? (laughs)
1: Well, I'm just not going to like, if there's certain training plans where I guess I'm I'm going to train lightly for it, I'm not going to like, go by the book, but it seems like from some of the talking I've done, like, I don't need to train to crush a marathon, right, where I'm doing like, 20 mile runs all the time, or 25 mile runs all the time, you know, I can do, you know, I can make sure that I'm doing the occasional extra long training run, so making sure I can do my 16 miles or 18 miles a few times. So there'll be a few days, you know, over the course of a few months where I'm gone three hours instead of two. Um, but not so much that the family notices is basically what I'm getting at. So there'll be a, there'll oh. be a few more long runs, but not so much that I'm
2: an absentee parent any more than I was before. Right. Are you uh, what, what's the longest run you've ever done? Is it a half? Uh, There's a half. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's a dramatic, it's a dramatic bump up, uh, man, more power to you. I, I kind of toyed with that idea for a while, but if, when you run 13 miles, I'm like, or, you know, 13.1 miles. I'm like the, the idea of doing that again, twice. Oh yeah. Like,
1: (laughs) no, see my thing with it is, and this is kind of, I think one of the, maybe a thing that's helped me from a hunting perspective too is that I can do almost anything for a long time at like a moderate pace. Like I could hike forever. I think that I can run forever, not forever, but I think I can run. I think I just go yeah. and I'm just determined enough. Like as long as I'm not like trying to beat some kind of pace or, or race someone like individually, I can, like I can hike all day. We do like yeah. big hikes and stuff. That's something I've done before. I've, I've hiked, you know, 20 miles or something like that in a day. Um, so I can do like a, a, a heavy loaded pack hike can't be that much easier than a no pack. Very slow jog is my mental math. I'm trying to convince
2: myself of at least. Hey, it um, sounds good. It sounds good, buddy. <laughs> yeah. you, on, on any of those runs, did you ever, did you ever that, have that experience where you just chafed the crap out of your nipples?
1: I haven't had the chafing. So we'll see. You haven't? No. Oh man. <laughs> Nope. So we'll see if that's something that pops up at mile 20 in a, in a run. Well, it's, it's TBD, but that's the thing I'm floating around in my head right now.
2: Because Um, I'm just envisioning you finishing the race with like the blood spots on the front of your chest. And God, that would be bad.
1: That would be bad. I don't know. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, I want to talk about 23 with you before we got to 24, but somehow here we are. Um, So, so like I said, last week I reviewed my 23 season and we've done, you know, we've talked about our 23 season more this past year than we did in the last like three or four years, which I think has been good because people, people enjoy getting to follow. You know, I think it's useful for people to hear how we are trying to take the things we talk about every week on the podcast and actually put them into action, right? And so I was hoping we could better illustrate that this year, which I think we did. Um, but looking back now, If you were to start a list, like a two column list here on your left, you've got your big wins. And on your right side of the column, you've got misses or mistakes or, you know, low lights, whatever you want to call them. Um, Name me a few things that would be on that list for you. Like what stands out as far as like the highlights or things you're most proud of or the things you did really well this year? What's on that side of the column for you?
2: Um, I was real happy with the way I shot this year. Um, you know, shot quite a few deer and I, f- I felt really good about that. Um, I also felt it just, you know, I, we've talked about this. We talked about this a few times last year, but you know, for the last couple of years, I haven't done a ton of public land hunting. I've been, I've had a, just a different couple falls because of the filming with meat eater and everything, and last year doing the Oklahoma thing and then doing the North Dakota thing again and, and kind of getting back into the swing of public land hunting, that was that was my most enjoyable stuff. And then doing the muzzleloader hunt here in Minnesota, just it that for me, those were highlights, right? I mean, obviously hunting with my kids is really fun and, and getting my daughter that decoy buck was really cool. Like I think about that a lot. Yeah. But personally for my own hunting where I'm like, okay, what, what's the arc of the next year look like? I want it to contain a lot more of the public land stuff where I'm like, I'm kind of feel like I slipped back into that groove of having to scout right in the moment, get mobile react and just kind of, you know, the things we talk about all the time, you know, those are muscles you got to work. And I felt, I felt like I was missing something for myself. Like I'm a, this drives my wife absolutely crazy, but I'm just like, I don't like doing the same stuff over and over again. You know, like, I don't, I know that people are like, I, my dream is to have this land and build it up. And, and I, I get that a hundred percent, but for me, I know what that would be for me. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't enjoy it as much as some people. Cause I don't want to go to the same box blind or like, I don't want to get myself into a position where I'm like, I know if I stay out of there until Halloween and I go in there, it's probably over. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to make a deal where I'm going to have good hunting, but I don't get to hunt as much. Or I don't need to scout as much, and so I just when I look at like the highlights from last year, the things that really meant something to me, just just getting into that process again and trying to find deer on public land and dealing with that whole aspect, I just it just does something for me.
0: Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription And you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health/meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater. Okay, at twc.health/meat eater. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition And make sure to use code Meat Eater for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code Meat Eater. Is there anything that you think you got better at?
1: Like, is there anything that you have known, like, hey, I've got to work on this, or this is an area of focus? And and then you actually executed on it. Like, I know you did things that were more fun. You did the thing you like, but was there a thing that actually like a change you made or a shift in mindset or anything like that actually paid off?
2: Um, I think what I'm getting, what I think one of the things that happened to me last year that I actually like felt kind of tangibly was I'm getting just so much more confidence in calling my shots. And being like, this is, I'm going to do this, whether it works out or not, I feel like this is the best and not, and not second guessing myself. You know, I yeah. mean, I went through, you know, and, and a lot of people do, right. Where you go through like, well, you know, what if the conditions or what if somebody came through here? What if I'm not set up? Right. And I'm kind yeah. of like, what ifs? yeah, I'm kind of, I kind of feel myself getting to a point where if I, if I feel like I'm putting in the effort to figure out a spot or figure out a location, I, I'm like, okay here's my plan today. And if this doesn't work, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. And if that doesn't work, this is what I'm going to do. And I feel like I'm just getting to a point where I'm just believing in that process more and being like, don't, like, don't overthink it. Like if you, if you're, you know, the spidey senses are like, this is where he's going to be tonight or in the next two days, figure this out and forget about those other options, forget about everything else. And then if it doesn't prove to be true, okay, that's fine move on. But I'm, I just kept finding like it, it kind of kept being true. Yeah. That's a really good feeling when you, when you, when
1: the, the second guessing is, is not the loudest voice in your head. When yeah. you're instead sitting there like, Hey, I, f- I feel confident in this thing and I have an idea and I have a plan B if that doesn't work out. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm sure I'm not to the same point you are cause you've got a decade on me, but I definitely can see like the change in that for myself over the, over the last decade and just how much more confident I am out there and how much more comfortable I am with like, okay, this is what's in front of me. This is my plan and why I think this will work. And I feel very confident in why this is something that should work. But if not, I'll shift, I'll shift. Um, but yeah, like that, sense of i don't want to say certainty because i don't think you're ever certain out there but just confidence and like and and comfort maybe with what's happening and why you're doing it um that is a really reassuring feeling out there versus you know 10 15 years ago when i was out there like should i be doing this or this or this or eh,
2: ah, i don't know um it dude it's important man and i i think like on that line too if you're like this is, this is where I think it's going to happen. Not, not how necessarily, but if you're like, I'm hunting this farm or I'm hunting this property and you're like, the signs pointing here, the conditions are pointing here. Then you, you go, okay, I have that thing I believe in. And so now it's like, okay, if the conditions aren't right for it tonight, it's like, I don't, I don't mind backing off and doing something else then. And it, it sort of gives you a little leeway with a lower confidence hunt. If you know, like in your back pocket, you're like, okay, I'm when it, when it breaks, right, I'm going right there. And that's where I want to be the most. Then I, I don't like, I notice this a lot of my public land hunts, cause I'll find a few places like that, but you know, as well as I do, like fronts roll in, people walk in, trucks are parked there, whatever. Sure. And if that's like all you're hanging your hat on, then it's, it messes with you bad. Or if you, you know, if you have a four or five day hunt, and you look at the forecast, you know, like, like when we went to Oklahoma it was 85 degrees when I got down there and I'm like, I'm going to kill him on water. And a cold front came in, which happens to me all the time. And the entire plan changed, but I had, I had run across some mast while scouting and some other stuff. And so it was like, it, even though that thing might not work, I found another thing that I feel just as good about. I just might have to tweak it a little bit or whatever, but you just like, when you, when you get into that state, it's sort of like, you don't have a bad sit. Cause even if you go do a backup one, cause you're playing it safe or you couldn't get in there for some reason, you're like, I still have that. And I'm still doing something at a certain level up to it. And I just, I think that, that feeling of just going in there and being like, I believe in this enough for that. And then the backup enough for that, it's just, it's a game changer for you.
1: Yeah. I hear you in that. What about the flip side though? Like what's, what's the thing is there anything still this year that gave you that eh, feeling that gave you like the uh, that left a bad taste in my mouth or a, gr- a regret or you left something on the field that you, you know, no, looking back, you could have done differently or could
2: have done better or anything like that? Yeah. So my Wisconsin hunting, uh, you know, I kind of take it for granted that I'm going to take my girls over there. It's going to be pretty easy. They'll kill a couple deer and then I'll do my thing. And my biggest regret from last year was, even though I knew the winter was rough, I was like, what I saw in the spring and the early summer over there, I was like, man, these deer came through really well, heard from a forester who said they came through really well. And so my plan, I I got lazy thinking there were enough deer there to work with. And then once we started hunting, even, even when I was running trail cameras over there, and not seeing very many deer and not seeing the fawns that you should, I still in my head, I was like, this will, this is not going to be a heavy lift this year. Like, you don't need to like devote a bunch of energy to scouting over here. Like, you kind of got this thing figured out. And then, you know, my daughter killed a deer. My other one didn't. Got into the rut. She finally killed one. And then it was my turn. And I felt like when I was hunting over there, even though I did kill a deer, I felt like I was way behind because I believed something that wasn't true and it kept me, it kept me from doing what I needed to do. And so when I actually got into the woods for myself, I was like, I knew it. I'm like, you're not working with nearly as many deer as you thought. And this is going to be just way tougher than you expected. And I, and I lived through it and I was like, that was so dumb. Like you had all the evidence (laughs) all year long that what you were believing going into spring wasn't, true. And it's, I chose to believe this fake thing because it made my life easier <laughs> until I had to face the reality of hunting. And then it got a hell of a lot harder because that was what I was actually dealing with. What, what could you have done differently though? Scout. I just needed to scout more. I mean, it, I just <laughs> took it for granted that I was going to have way more deer to work with. And so some of my old reliable stuff was going to work. And, you know, I'm, I'm real confident during that time period, if you have multiple all day sits in a row, somebody's coming by, you know, like if you have enough spots and I just didn't, I did way more scouting after I killed my buck. Let me put it Mm -hmm. that way. Just because I was like, don't, don't do this to yourself again. Like this will be an easy trap to fall into. And so it was just a matter of, just putting myself in more high odd spots more often that I didn't do. What
1: did you learn in that additional scouting or did you, did anything light up for you when you did do that post kill scouting?
2: Yeah, I did. I'm, I'm really starting to, to lean into this when I, I do this in the big woods a lot. If I shoot a deer and I still have some time to play around, cause you you know how it is by the time you get to like your, fifth or sixth shoot of the season, or, you know, it's two and a half months into it. If you kill one, when you're on the road, you're like, I just want to go home. I want to go see my kids. I'm sick of doing this, but I'm starting to go, if, if you have a day or two that you can play with, go walk, get out there and just go look in the moment, see that sign. And dude, I, I ran cameras, I covered some ground and I just, I just looked for what I was missing. And what I found was I was missing a lot. And it was just dumb. It was just it was just purely because I went into it thinking it was going to be easy and I wasn't gonna to have to figure out in the moment what I needed to do. But you know, when you're dealing with a low, low deer density, it's all about finding just any deer first. Like where's that little tiny concentration? And right. then how do you work off of it? And so after I killed that buck this year, I spent, you know, almost two days just walking. And I found some stuff and ran some cameras and I was like, okay, they were, they were close or, you you know, there, there were deer, good deer close that I was just missing because I was working off of old information. And it was just a, it was just like a good reminder of how easy it is to just sort of be a little lazy and expect the ruts going to deliver to you. And it just, it's, it's never that easy. Yeah. So coming in 24, do you have is
1: is is that it is that the thing that you want to work on more Just like more and more scouting or is there anything else that you're thinking this season that's like on your to-do list as a big shift or a big focus or an area like hey i gotta i gotta start working on this next thing like what's that next focus point for you this year
2: so i'm gonna I, a couple of things i'm focusing on for this year i'm definitely gonna do probably three states for just public land i want to i wanna do. A new state that I haven't hunted. I'm kind of looking hard at Missouri because I've scouted it a few times, but I've never actually deer hunted down there. Uh, I I want that part. I don't I don't know what states exactly it'll be. I should draw Iowa this year, so one of them will be Iowa. Uh, that's going to be real important to me. My one daughter, my daughter who killed that decoy buck, has been talking a lot about doing that more. And so and and I killed my buck with a decoy this year over there too. And so I'm kind of like. I've never even hardly considered them a viable option for most of my deer hunting. I mean, right. you know me, like I'm not, I'm not a big caller. I'm not a big sense guy, whatever, but seeing the way that DSD doe worked twice last year and how fun it was, I'm like, is there more ways I can kind of build this in and have some fun with it and, and just try to like learn more? Cause that's, that's one of the things I love about Turkey hunting. When you start to figure out the decoy game, especially if you bow bow hunt them a lot, it's, it's like really a game changer for the entire experience. Like it's, I know it's, that sounds like duh, but it's, it's big. Like a lot of people, especially a lot of people who only gun on them don't quite get there. Like to understand how important certain decoy setups and how you're going to do them throughout the season. And I'm, I just like, I feel like I'm kind of missing that with tails too. And it's this thing that I could involve into my world a little bit more. And so I'm kind of looking at that too.
1: Hmm. Okay. So three new states, or not new states, but one new state. Three public land hunts. More decoy. Um, what's what's like the th- what's like on your bucket list still that you haven't done whitetail related? That's like the golden goose you're chasing, or maybe maybe there's not a thing like that. But is there anything like you've been doing this a long time, Tony? You've done the public thing a long time. You don't really need to prove that to yourself anymore or anybody else. Um, I do. So don't. what are like, I'm talking more, I'm talking more overarching here and maybe, okay. So maybe that's the case, but like, what's the next thing you're chasing? Like we always have like personal somethings that we're chasing. Um, do you have anything like that? Like, is there like, do you want to kill a giant or do you want to kill an X or a Y or a, every state that has public land? What, is there anything like that? That's like in the back of your mind ever?
2: My, my, the things that just eat away at me are always different environments. So, you know, the big woods thing is I'm, I'm, I'm like, I have that sort of on pause since my daughter started hunting because that's most of my time over there is for them. And so it's like, I don't, I kind of know I don't have enough time to do what I need to. Cause even when I had more time, I couldn't get it done. And so I'm like, where I'm at now is it's sort of like just in a, a holding pattern for me, but that that won't go away like killing a big one in the big woods on public land is it's just always there this this thing I did with the muzzleloader hunt in western Minnesota and the cattails in that environment that I I'm you know like I'm only familiar with it through pheasant hunting and a little bit of rabbit hunting and just like a very you know I've I've only spent five days of my life well maybe six days of my life deer hunting that stuff that's like under my skin because I see you know I, I told you this we talked about this on the podcast but The one day that I was down there with my muzzleloader and I, and I followed those tracks and jumped all those deer in the, in the Mm -hmm. cattails, those deer were as unkillable as they're going to be. And now you would think that's an open environment and that wouldn't be the case. But when you're in cattails, I'm six, two, those cattails are way over my head. And I'm like, when you walk in there and they're bedded there before first light and you go, you know, you jump, you jump them right there and you have a gun. And it's like, unless you had buckshot, <laughs> you that would be the only chance you might have there. And I just, I go, how do you figure, like, how do you solve for this? Like, how do you, and that's, that's like the stuff that I love is like, it's not, you know, it's fun to go back to some places you like the Western river bottoms. I love, and it's, it's fun to do that kind of stuff. But when you get into an environment that says you can't do this easily here, like, yeah. trust me on this, they're here and you're not going to get them that I love that and so I kind of look at it that way like I I, you know I'm not like I got to kill a 170 or something like that that just it it doesn't matter to me as much but doing it right in these environments where I just walk in and I'm like I don't I don't have a strong basis here and I have limited time and you know there's a lot of hunters using this stuff I love that Hmm. yeah
1: I can I can relate I'd say that's that's where a lot of my just a lot of my interest is like the, the experiential aspect, like, man, I want to kill one in this kind of way. I'm going to, I'm to try to figure out this kind of place. I want to figure out this kind of adventure. Um, and now right now, like the thing I, I talked about this last week, a little bit, um, I need like some new adventure in my hunting. Like I, I want to shift it up again. Um, and I'm not 100% sure what that's going to look like yet, but, um, but I have some ideas and, and, and just like,
2: Give it what's an example. Like what's one thing you're thinking about? Um, well, I'm going to hold off on the, on the
1: one I'm really, really thinking about. Um, but I don't like, like an example of one I have talked about in the past. It's probably not next year, but like a backpacking backcountry whitetail hunt, like that kind of thing, like something that's like truly different. Yep. Um, or, you know, like going in, I mean, yes, that kind of thing is the general idea I'm thinking of. um, a rafting whitetail trip, um, something like that. That's just, you know, different than the usual get on, like park the truck by the road, hike in, hunt for the afternoon, hike back out, go to your tent or go to your house or go wherever. Um, I just think so much of, and I, and I love that, right? I love my everyday deer hunting, but I also, like you, just want new, And I want to grow and I want to try new things. And I want to see what's at the, at the boundaries of of this whole thing and what else is out there. And, and one of the coolest things about whitetails and, and some of my adventure seeking is outside of whitetails too. But a really cool thing about whitetails is they are almost everywhere in almost every different type of habitat and you can hunt them in so many different ways. It's very easy to get like locked into the, the usual, which is like, well, we're gonna hunt them from a tree in the Midwest, uh, in farm ground. Right. It's especially for those of us that live in this area, it's very tempting to just get sucked into that basic template. Um, and so I still want to do some of that, of course, but I, I want to continue to explore outside color outside of those lines some. And so this year, one of my goals is to do that. Um, I've got, I've got one very, very different idea, which, uh, which we'll talk about at a later date. Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, in the meantime, I'm still thinking of like what a, what a second option might be. So so yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff that's on my mind right now. I do want to do when it comes to this year. I, I want to. I got a question for you related to one of my ideas for a project this year. And it goes like this, you know, the working for wildlife tour, right? You've heard me doing this whole thing last year, right? Traveling around, volunteering on public lands, um, doing various habitat projects, encouraging volunteers to come out. So we're going to do that again this year. Um, But I want to figure out a way to, to tell that story through a film. And my idea is to do this, go do more projects, but, but find one of these projects where we can do a working for wildlife event, go out there, improve wildlife habitat, volunteer in public land, but then come back and do a hunt or a, or a fishing trip or whatever, come back and do a thing on that piece of ground and, and showcase, like you do the work and then you reap the rewards down the line. Um, like that's possible. My worry though, is like, how do you do that without spot burning? Like, how do you do that without ruining the place? You know, because By doing a project like that, people are going to be out there. Like We're going to be talking about, hey, we're on this piece of public land. Or or is there a way I can do that without talking about the place? I mean, this is something that you and I and and really anyone now with a social media account has to think about, which is we want to share what we're doing. We want to talk about what we're doing. We want to enjoy these places. But at the same time, you don't want to unnecessarily, you know drive more people to a sensitive location that ends up making it worse for wildlife, worse for hunting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so how do you do that? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. There, I, I don't know how to do that, but I think there's gotta be a way.
2: I think you would have to, I th- I think the easiest way to do that, or the, maybe the most responsible way to do that would be to find some category of project in a region and, you know, planting trees or whatever, whatever it is, something like that. And then find a different property that had had that 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or you know what I mean? It wasn't the same thing, but it was the same concept of right. here, here is like a look into the future of it instead of just going right back. But even then people would figure it out. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to touch this one. Cause I feel like you're going to get yourself into trouble with the audience here, Mark. <laughs>
0: Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at eater. but you got to use the promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at TWC.health slash meat eater. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Or what about this? What if, what if the place where we
1: go do the volunteer work, what if I do go back and hunt, but I shoot a Tony buck? I shoot a spike on day one, and it's so, so I shoot a deer, but it's not the kind of deer that's going to drive 1,000 people to go
2: try and hunt there. Is I that think, effective? I think you should absolutely do that because I think you think that's going to be easy and I want to see you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just go shoot a quick little buck, Mark. No problem.
1: I, I I'll follow the Tony methodology <laughs> and uh, and we'll report back here next year. I don't yeah. know. That's one of my ideas, but I want to figure out a way to do it responsibly. Um But I think like I think it's a it's an idea that I want to get out there, which is the idea of, of giving back to the landscape more, right. Getting out there, doing this work, doing good things. And then it being a reminder, like, Hey, you can also benefit from it. Like you can go out there and you don't have to benefit from it. Do it just for the sake of doing it. But also, Hey, like it's pretty darn cool to get out here and it's super satisfying to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I think anyone who owns private land knows that, right. You go out there, you do the work, planning your food plots or improving timber or whatever. And then you get to go out there and hunt and do your thing. Um, well, that that's possible to some degree on public land too for folks. For sure, um, I mean, even if it's just you going out there solo and picking up trash. Um, so
2: Dude, yeah, if anybody who's listening is down in Oklahoma and they want to do that, I, I recommend it. I've never been in a place that had more garbage in the woods. Really? Yeah, just weird. I mean, some of it, some of it was floodplain stuff, you know, but a lot of it I was just like, and maybe it's just more part of it might be because then the you get into a drier climate stuff sticks around longer a lot of times. So right. maybe that was part of it, but I was like, man, there's a lot of just trash <laughs> here Yikes. where we're hunting specifically. I hate that.
1: I got to the point though with, um, <laughs> so we, we try to like when we're out hiking around doing whatever with the kids and stuff, we try to pick up things and you know, when you can clean up, and we were on a hike over Christmas break, and we passed like what looked like dirty toilet paper, and my three year old like ran to pick it up. And like, no, 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 don't touch it, don't touch it. We can't pick that up. And he got so mad. He's like, No, we have to pick up the trash. You say we have to pick up the trash. We're like, no, that might be like <laughs> yeah. something really gross. Don't touch that. <laughs> yeah,
2: the same same um, rules apply. If you find like one glove in the woods, just leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: anything, anything like that, dangerous. Um, yeah, man. So, any other, any other big plans, thoughts uh, for twenty four? Other than the the new state, the decoying, public land. You gonna go back to your buddy's lease anymore, or are you you done with that?
2: I'm not sure. Or not lease. I guess he owns it, right? Well, it, your buddy's farm. Oh, I'm not sure. So I didn't hunt it this year. Um, I'm, you know, I'm gonna turkey hunt it. It's, it's always there. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's just if I go down there to southwestern Wisconsin and I hunt that place, it's awesome. But I just want to be in the north woods, man. I don't know how to describe it. The, you know, my odds of killing a 140 on that southwestern place, or like a, at least a decent buck, are so high compared to you know northern Wisconsin. But I just love the environment, man. So I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I'm, I'm looking okay. at, I mean, you know how this goes. This is a, this is definitely a dumb complaint, but when you do what we do, I'm always like, should I film in Minnesota or Wisconsin, which, you know, Minnesota is my home state, but I, Wisconsin, I just hunt a lot too. It's right there and whatever. And you, you know how it is when you're like, you don't save something for yourself and it, it changes your entire season. And so I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do with Minnesota and Wisconsin this season, as far as filming. And it, like you talking about, you know, a back like a backcountry hunt for whitetails or something. I've had this hunt in the back of my mind. I've got this old town kayak. It's a badass fishing kayak, but it's it'd be good for getting into a hunting spot too. And I have this chunk of public land in Minnesota that I think I could go in and kill a pretty good one on if I brought my bivy stuff and camped and paddled in there and did a, that kind of adventure type hunt. And I'm, I'm kind of like, should I do that this year? No, you know, you know, the downside is like, okay, I'm probably going to draw Iowa, something else will come up for work. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to hang my hat on that, but it's just like one of those things that you think about a lot where you're like, I, sh- I really just should just carve it out and say, I'm just doing it just to do it, get it out of the way. Cause you know how it is. Like some of this stuff you start thinking about and you're like, I've been thinking about doing this for 10 years and haven't, it's like, come on, man, just do it. Yeah.
1: And then you blink and it's like, you're however old and you've been saying you want to do it someday forever. And now all of a sudden you're like, well, can I do it anymore? Yeah. Well, do you want want
2: to? And I mean, that's, you know, something that I thought of when you were talking about like just 24 goals and just, you know, setting the, maybe the marathon goal, that kind of stuff. I had a conversation with Eddie Claypool, you know, who's a phenomenal hunter, uh, several years ago. And he told me, he, you know, because he was one of those guys who got after it so hard, like Western game, whitetail, you turkeys. I mean, I, I would have conversations with Eddie Claypool and I'd be going to Nebraska to turkey hunt. And he'd be like, Oh, where are you going? And I'd be, you know, like we trust each other. We're friends. So I'd be like, Oh, I'm this Mm -hmm. WMA and this W and he'd be like, yeah, just walk in here. And usually the birds are back in this corner. I'm like, I could not bring up a place and he doesn't live there. He lives in Oklahoma, but I could not bring up a place where he wasn't like, yeah, I've been in there or I killed a deer here or whatever. But he told me, and this was several years ago, but he's like, believe me when I say this, you will lose the drive. Eventually like figure out a way to keep yourself motivated, to get out there, to keep doing it. Because as you get older and you do more stuff and, you know, family wears on you and you get tired and, you know, the the usual stuff, he's like, you don't think it'll happen, but it will. And I've thought about that, you know, hundreds of times in my life because there's a guy who was like living it. And he's telling you, like, he's in the future and he's like, hey, trust me on this. You won't be as motivated to do this when you get to my age. And I just look at it and I go, how How can I stay? <laughs> like, how can you like push that away or keep that at bay for a while? Yeah. Hmm.
1: I don't know the answer to that. Other than continuing to to walk that careful line between chasing it now, but also not doing the opposite of that, which is the. 10 years from now or 15 years from now, we say, Oh man, we did a lot of epic hunts, but, uh, I missed my kids, this thing. And I missed my kids, that thing. And I didn't get to do this stuff with my son or my daughters or whatever. It's like, how do you balance that drive to do it all with knowing that we don't get our kids' childhoods back either or our marriage back or whatever? (laughs) Like that's the constant balance, right? Well, and you don't
2: get your own time back either, you know, yeah. like you don't get your old health back. Like I, I really think of this going to sound stupid, but I just, as I get older I'm like patience and discipline sure seem to serve me well for a lot of stuff. And so I, I look at that and I go, you don't have to lose your family over a deer, you know, like, but you also don't have to try to get into a situation where it's so easy that the challenge is gone and you don't appreciate it right. anymore. Because when you see yeah. that, and I know people don't believe it, but when you see that, it's it's like a tangible thing that happens to people when they get a really, really good spot, it's very easy to just go, Well, I don't I don't have to work extra, why would I? But mm-hmm. that when you put yourself in a position to be challenged and work extra, it's it usually makes you feel pretty good and it keeps you kind of going man, it didn't happen this year, but next year I'm going back to do that trip again, or keep buying those over the counter elk tags till they're gone. You know, like, yeah, cause they're going to be gone.
1: Yeah. I've got a buddy who I, I think he'd be okay with me saying this. Uh, a couple friends that now have a situation kind of like that. And they now call themselves box blind bastards. <laughs> and- <laughs> Are these your uh, Iowa buddies? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, you, you get a sweet spot and it gets comfortable and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's all some people want, which is great. Like if you were happy with that, heck yeah, you got it made. Um, but you know, that you might be, not be
2: what, dude, you gotta be real honest want. with yourself. I mean, yeah. cause it, cause right. It could be your thing and that, that could be exactly what you want out of your hunting. And that would be a perfect scenario, but you have to yep. be really honest about it. Like, are you enjoying yeah. it? Like, are you enjoying going to the same view and opening the same window when you want to shoot a deer every time, or do you need something else? Like it's so personal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the great things about what we do, right? It's like, this can be whatever it is you want it to be. You know, it's, it's, and I suppose that's the case with a lot of different activities, I guess. if you want to be a climber or a a runner or whatever, you can make your own goals and your own experience. But um, that is particularly true with hunting as long as you don't fall prey to the pressures of like what everybody else thinks. Right. And so, and so I guess to that point, like, man, if you want to be a box blind guy or girl, man, more power to you. That's awesome. If that's the thing that gets you stoked and you are excited to go do, do it. And you should not be at all worried about what Tony or I think. Um, But on the flip side, you know, the same, at the same time, like if that's not going to do it for you, but you're falling into the trap of like, oh man, this feels easy. And then you just keep doing it because it's the easy thing. Well, then maybe you want to reconsider too. So it comes down to like knowing yourself, knowing what's going to keep you energized and excited
2: about this and then chasing that. Well, and I think one of the things that we see with hunters a lot, you know, like the general hunting population is terrified of change. Like you see this, if there's a proposal to move a gun season or a bow season or something for some reason, I mean it you name it, we've seen it a million times, but you also have to recognize that you're going to change over the next two years and five years and 10 years. And so that goal of having that thing, you know, maybe when you have kids and having, you know, buying that 40 acres and putting those box blinds up and giving them that experience is like, you know, closest thing to dying and going to heaven. But, you know, when those kids hit, teenage years and maybe they're not hunting with you or something like you might be in a totally different place, you know, or you might do it, you know, you might do the public land thing and be like, that's, that's only my thing and burn yourself right to the ground for five seasons or 10 seasons in a row and go, man, I, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it anymore. I'm not scouting the way I want to. And like, if you're honest about that, maybe you're going the other way, you know, and, and, and who knows where you'll end up. But if you're open to that stuff, it's, it's important to just be honest about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that and, in, in in sampling and testing and seeing where you, where, where that right place is for you. So, um, hard pivot here before we wrap up. There's one thing I wanted to ask you about, about last year and something I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about here for a few minutes, which is one of our guilty pleasures, Tony, which is reading. We both do a lot of reading. Um, and I never get to do podcasts where I get to talk about books. Um, and you're the only person I could talk about books with. Um, so do you have a favorite book or two or recommended book or two or something that stands out? It, it doesn't have to be a book. It could also be like a film, or a documentary, a podcast series, anything like that. But uh, I've got books. Do you yeah. have any recommendations coming on 23?
2: I do. So even uh, just what we talked about, about changing and, you know, I spent a lot of my life reading a lot of fiction and, and writing that way. And then, you know, probably the last five or seven years, I've mostly been reading nonfiction stuff. Mostly. Like I just, I wasn't drawn to just made up stories anymore, but I ended up reading, and I think you've read some of his stuff. Andy Weir's, uh, Mm, books, you know, he wrote the Martian Artemis Hail Mary. Have you read those?
1: I've no, I have, I've, I've read part of the Martian. So I haven't finished Martian and I own project hail Mary. And it's like on my to read list this year, but I haven't got to it yet, but I've read like the first chapter and like, I got to read this. So So I was intrigued
2: when you brought that up. That was probably one of my favorite books of last year. And I'll tell you what, if I, if I read the synopsis of it, I probably wouldn't have read it. Like I kept, Hmm. I kept getting into it. He has like a very, he has a weird style. Cause it's very almost informal writing. Like there's a lot of like, and this is going to make me sound like a prick, but if, if I see something and it has a lot of exclamation points, I'm like, uh, I don't, don't want to read this probably just yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but that book, I kept reading it and getting into it. And I'm like, it, I was just like so surprised at how much I just enjoyed, you know, being entertained by it. And it gets you to think about a lot of stuff cause he's real science based. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like a, it was a good lesson for me. Cause I was kind of like, I'm not, you know, Cormac McCarthy died. I'm kind of done reading fiction. Right. For the most part. <laughs> and then I read that and I was like, I just enjoyed it so much. And I, I liked all of his books. I read them all last year, but I, that one, I was like, that one actually kind of just like partially because I was like, there's no way this is going to do it for me. So that one, and I ended up going through, uh, I'm reading a lot of space books, (laughs) 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 Uh, which would not surprise you. And I've been reading a lot of Carl Sagan stuff. Hmm. And man, uh, Cosmos, it was just, I don't know. I, I didn't read it for whatever reason. And then I read it last year and I was like, it's just so interesting like anybody who can take the concepts of astrophysics and all of the math involved and all of the ways in which we know what's happening and explain it to somebody like me like you heard me try to do math when you were asking me about how many miles I run at the beginning of the episode I was off Mm -hmm. by like 1200 miles (laughs) I anybody who can take those concepts because all of that stuff is math and and just make it so digestible and interesting um he's he was
1: and he wrote that back in like the 80s
2: or 90s right yes and so like this holds up oh like my still God. it's in fact interesting it's, 40 years later it's probably it, it does it's wild to hear some of his predictions and know what we've kind of proven to be true since then but also he wasn't just like obsessed with space right like it was all about like our place in the universe and how we treat each other and it was it his way of looking at things was so fascinating as far as like what what does society need? Like where are we going but what do we actually need? And that I think that was why he was so popular. You know, and I and I think that's why it holds true to this day.
1: See, I've got a similar fascination with those kinds of questions, but not with space. I'm interested in right now just like the impacts of AI. And where that's going right now, that seems like we are on the precipice of this massive shift in so many different things. So that's been an area of like curiosity for me this year. I've read a bunch. I've got a book on that called The Coming Wave um, that I I, I can't recommend yet because I'm just working through it still. But very interesting to this point. It's written by um, one of the founders of DeepMind, which is one of the Mm -hmm. AI companies that Google bought, you know, seven, eight years ago or whatever. So they're the ones behind Google's big AI push um so interesting interesting stuff have you um, have you
2: had a chance to talk to steve ranella about ai yet i have not Did you guys <laughs> get into that in oklahoma we had an interesting conversation about it in, in typical ranella fashion he's like ah it's not gonna be anything not a thing yeah <laughs> it's not gonna not gonna ruin society it's not gonna enslave humans it's just this total dismissive <laughs>
1: uh well i'll be sure to bring it up when i see him next and see
2: uh see where his head's at on that one so what was um, your, what was your favorite then because you you just started that one so if you books? yeah if you looked at last year what was the one where you were like oh my god i can't recommend this enough <sighs> probably
1: it would be two books um the two books that i and the, the trick is like one of them I think could be for anyone who listens to this podcast. One of them you'd have to be like very committed to learning about this kind of stuff. So, the easy recommendation, and, and folks in our world have seen this recommended a bunch, um, but uh, Wild New World by Dan Flores. Oh, yeah. Um, have you read that one? I haven't read that one, but I've read his other books. Okay, yeah. So, you know, he's great. He's one of Steve's longtime friends. He's been on Steve's podcast. Um, so, his latest book. Takes a look at the history of wildlife and people in North America since people came to North America. So it basically starts like Pleistocene type animals, everything that happened there, the the near, well I, I think it's fair to say, a catastrophic extinction event that uh, occurred in North America. Relatively soon after folks showed up here and then it follows from that all the way through, you know, Europeans showing up and everything that happened there and then kind of wraps up almost to where we are now. Just kind of following that constant push and pull and tension and dependency, but also destructive relationship we have with wildlife here. So really interesting and I think super relevant to anyone who hunts or fishes. Um, you know, kind of coming to terms with that, it's sometimes a very ugly history, but it's other times inspiring history. Um, so that's great book. Can't recommend that one enough. Yeah. He's pretty good. Yeah. Very good. Um, second recommendation is one that I pushed on you years ago. We've talked about it since, and then I, I pushed it on you. And I had actually not finished it when I had pushed on you. And then I finally finished it this year, which is uh, the song of the dodo oh, by yeah. David Quammen. Um, and so, you know, as you know, since you read it, but I'll, I'll mention, it. I think I even talked about this once earlier or back in 23, I brought it up, but I'm, I'm going to talk about it again. Cause I just thought it was such a profoundly interesting book and well-written book. You know, it, it basically looks at, um, Kind of how species like it it examines evolution and extinction. If I had to simplify it, it really dives into how species evolve and how species go extinct. And it uses the example of islands and the study of islands called island biogeography is basically this this field of study and what's interesting about this is that you can see evolution and extinction happen much more quickly and much more clearly on islands because of the fact that these are isolated populations. And so it uses all these different examples and David travels around the world, exploring these kinds of things, meeting with people, learning about this kind of stuff. Um, And he goes all the way up into the history of like how we kind of figure this out in the first place. So it talks about Darwin and Wallace and the people who kind of figured out the theory of evolution and, and then goes all the way through relatively currently how we've also been trying to figure like, why are species going extinct and how is this happening? What are the different forces that, you know, not, not like the high level forces, like not habitat destruction, but like what happens to the genetics of a population or what happens when you isolate a population? Um, I don't know, nerdy, geeky in the, in the weeds kind of stuff, but he does it in a way that's, that's pretty darn compelling. Um, and what's what's really, I think, what makes this particularly relevant is right? this whole idea of like studying extinctions on islands, it does not just apply to like physical islands like Maui or something. We are also creating islands all over the world on the mainland because we are continuing to create these isolated pockets of wildlife habitats surrounded by people and development. So like Central Park is an island, Yellowstone is an island. Um, the piece of woods behind my house is to a degree, an Island surrounded by agriculture all around it. Um, so we're, we're creating all these pseudo islands and those, those Island effects that have real ramifications on wildlife populations. We're creating those kinds of things all over the world and species are disappearing because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you care at all about wildlife and having critters Mm -hmm. around and understanding why we have fewer critters, um, on average, seventy percent fewer animals. On on average, species across the country have gone down seventy percent. Not country, world since nineteen seventy. So like, it, there's this biodiversity crisis, and this is something I'm spending a lot of time diving deep into. Um, this is one of the best books on it, and um, can't recommend it enough. But it is big, and it requires like a commitment to like dive into it. Um, but I think it's worth the time.
2: Yeah. That book, that book so, is really good. It's just a real heavy lift.
1: Yeah. Like there's, there's a lot to unpack. Um, I, I did this thing where I don't know if you've ever done this, but I have got the physical book and the audio book and I bounce back and forth between the two. You ever done that? mm yeah. It's been like, I don't know for like books that take a while to get through. It's been a good way to like make time with them. Um, yeah, go for a long drive, cover a bunch of ground with it. And then like you're, you're deep into it cause you listen to it, but it's easier to listen. And then you can, you know, pick it up here and there nights, you know, in the week and then jump in and do a long drive over the weekend or something, cover some ground. I don't know. It's, it's been something I've started to do more often. It seems a little silly to pay extra money for a second copy of the same book, but, uh, I'm a fan of books. So I guess I feel like it's a donation that I'm okay making (laughs) to the author. Yeah,
2: that's fine. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. But, uh, but with that said, we've got to wrap this one up because uh, I've got to run off through a snowstorm and pick up my son and uh, can't be late for that. So uh, thanks man for talking books with me, for talking goals. Um, You know, it's going to be a good year. I'm excited about it. Me too, buddy. Me too. All right. Well, appreciate everyone tuning in for uh, a bit of a random show here today. But as we start these new every new year, I kind of feel like it's nice to just kind of ease into the year, have some fun, talk about what we're thinking about and where things are headed and kind of get ourselves rejuvenated for this next push. So with that said, appreciate you being here. And until next time, stay
0: wired to hunt.